You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. Hey, friends. Hey, many of you know that on this podcast particularly, we keep revisiting the topic of differentiation of self. And one of the reasons I keep revisiting it is it is a difficult uh, practice to grasp. It feels conceptual. It's like, what is it? Uh, and so I've broken down differentiation of self into five steps. And one of the key steps is at some point when you notice that you're anxious, you, you try to pause and you go back to your values. Who am I? How did God make me? What am I about? And for example, just in my life, as a people pleaser, when I'm not at my best, if I'm not careful and I get criticism from people in the church, I'll be knocked off my vision and values of what God's made me to do, and I'll try to please them instead. So with that in mind, I'm done with the pumpkin candle. Done with it. Had enough. It's not who I am. We have been kicking this around on the show now for, I think, six or eight weeks. Listen, folks, it's not the fall. So why am I lighting a pumpkin candle in the, in the, in the spring? Also, I'm a dude. I can't do it. Now, hey, I've got Glenn Packham on the show today. Glenn's patiently waiting right now as I rant. Uh, Glenn, uh, you might love pumpkin. You and I are okay with each other, but it's not who I am. And so uh, after that rant, just the pause, the water, mint, and eucalyptus candle. And uh, in all seriousness, as much as we're having fun with this, this has been a big thing, Glenn, on the show, is whether I can keep lighting a pumpkin candle or not. But uh, just in all seriousness, as we kind of settle into this, I'm just lighting this candle on this Audible podcast, recognizing that many people are listening right now on a treadmill or in the car, or you're out with your dog, but just the simple recognition that God is as close to us as the uh, flame of this candle. And uh, many of my listeners know I'm in an Ignatian uh, prayer group right now. I'm, I'm in Ignatian um, spiritual direction. Howard Baker just a, has been such a, a gift to me in this season. And uh, so they gave me this candle. Actually, they gave me, this is my fourth candle, Glenn. Mm. I burned through two candles in January. That's how anxious I was. It's my fourth candle just to remember uh, God's with us. So, um, okay, that's done. Let me introduce a person that actually on this show and actually in any show doesn't need introduction. You just say the name Glenn Packy and people know who you are, Glenn. Uh, obviously, you've written many books. You've written many worship songs. But your latest book is the book for pastors post-COVID, The Resilient Pastor. Not only because, Glenn, you bring all of your academic study, your artistic bent, your charismatic tradition, your Anglican love, you bring all of that, but you also bring Barna. You bring mm. proper research to this book. And here we have this book, The Resilient Pastor. I had the privilege of getting an early copy. Uh, Glenn is also now the host of, wait for it, folks, The Resilient Pastor podcast. A relatively new podcast yes. that's really, um, I know a lot of you guys are saying the, the thing I don't need in my life is one more podcast. In fact, particularly those of you in ministry, you really do because Glenn is bringing guests on the show, but also as, as I've been listening to this, this, this show, he's so quick with the research on here's what the statistics are saying, here's what pastors are facing. So uh, Glenn, uh, with that elongated introduction that factored in a rant, Welcome back to Managing Leadership Anxiety. Steve, I love it. I could listen to you talk all day. In fact, I was just listening to you talk this morning while I was on the elliptical machine 
myself. So I'm a big, a big fan of your work. Big, you know, I've been so grateful for your work. You came and did a training uh, with a pastor's roundtable that we had um, a few months ago. Yeah, you, you're amazing. And I have to add to this: I also am not a pumpkin guy. I don't like, uh, you know, pumpkin pie. I can make exceptions, but I don't like pumpkin in my coffee. I don't want to smell pumpkin. So I applaud your decision. I, I appreciate. I, I, you know, I've been doing my own work on people pleasing. I didn't need your approval, but no, I will you, take you it. It helps. Uh, <laughs> and here's what's weird, Glenn, is like uh, I can't do pumpkin in my coffee. I feel it's an anath- it's anathema. How do you say yeah. that word, Glenn? Anathema. It's anathema. I keep wanting to say it's an, an anathema, and that's <laughs> to me. Um, I'm not afraid to wear rust-colored pants, pumpkin-colored pants. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I may have worn them at the conference you were at. I, I mm. don't recall. I, I don't expect I, you to I, recall. No, I do not recall, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, you and I first met um, before MLA came out because you were kind enough to take a cold meeting with someone you didn't know. Uh, I had been following your work for years. And there's a number of reasons. I myself am chasing the spirit more overtly because I come from such a cerebral um, tribe of churches, the Christian churches. Uh, also, I knew that you had gone through tremendous tragedy with uh, a very infamous um, lead pastor exposure. This, yeah. is, this is way back in the early 2000s. Yep. And then soon after that... Um, Unbelievable! A shooter showed up to your church mm-hmm. and actually murdered people at your church on a Sunday. Yeah, and and then I saw before you and I met, you then went on this journey to chase more liturgical, historically rooted experiences, and here you are now as this charismatic Anglican who's an academic. You have your doctorate. You're also a musician and an artist. And I thought, here's a guy I just want to get to know. And you were very kind to meet. We had a I, oh, I shouldn't speak to you. I had a great time. and <laughs> I had a great then, time too. Yeah, we've really become friends. We've nerded yeah. out on systems yeah. theory together. Yeah. Uh, you, and, and you're on the show particularly to talk about Resilient Pastor, your latest book and the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Man, it, it's so good. It, it's, it's such the needed word as we yeah. kind of are all recovering from the last couple of years. Let's just start by what got you to write this book. Well, thank you, Steve. That's very kind. And the feeling is certainly mutual. Um, So about two years ago, David Kinnaman, the president of Barna, uh, he was coming through town. He said, hey, let's grab coffee. And I, you know, I know him and knew, you know, know his family. And so I thought maybe this is a personal catch up. And so we're chatting through stuff. And then he says, hey, what would you think about partnering with Barna to write a book for pastors on the challenges of a changing world? Now, Steve, this is pre-pandemic, you know, so I feel like the Lord maybe tricked me into saying yes here because I had, you know, so this is this is early 2020 pre-pandemic. But I had finished my doctoral work two years prior, and the model of research that I had learned at Durham in the UK was situational analysis paired with theological reflection. And I thought, boy, this is an opportunity to kind of practice this now, this sort of same same approach, not necessarily in an academic way, but in a way that could actually sort of um, you, you know, have a wider a reach potentially. So I was thrilled. I have obviously have great respect for Barna and the team. And I said, yes, and began to sketch out eight challenges, four facing the pastor as an individual, four facing the church as a whole. And we began to talk through that. And then boom, the pandemic, uh, you know, happened. And we thought, my goodness, what's going on? But it gave us, we had time. And so in late 2020, we began to design these survey questions that went out to hundreds of pastors. Late 2020, and actually some of it went out early 2021. 
And not only that, but we were also able to kind of uh, get some of these questions to the general population, which was really important to say, what are some of the shifting attitudes toward pastors, towards churches? What do people think a church's role in the community was? And as you recall, Steve, there were these huge raging debates, uh, particularly in the West, you know, in the UK and in the US and Canada, about our churches, quote unquote, essential or not, right? So right. all of that chance to ask that question to people was so good. And then I did my own focus groups. I just kind of, you know, uh, unscientifically here tweeted out invitations to people, uh, you know, people to sign up. And I had um, about 25 pastors from the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. And we broke them up in three small focus groups where I spent 90 minutes talking through these eight challenges with them, reflecting on, hey, here's what the wider data is saying, but what are your stories? What's your experience? So all of that, put that all in the bucket of insight. That's kind of the insight into our situation. But then on the other side of, of, of the book was, how do I pair that now with wisdom? We don't just need insight, we need wisdom. And the wisdom I was trying to not only obviously draw from the scriptures, but also from church history. It kind of, um, I kind of squirmed every time people said, this is unprecedented, we've never been here before and all of that. And of course, yeah, in our lifetimes, that's probably certainly true. And in, in recent memory even. Um, but there's another sense in which actually the church has been through some very dark moments uh, before, and we just need uh, we need a longer view of the story of the church. So I tried to look back in the 300s, maybe the 1500s, the 500s. Where are some moments where we can say, hey, actually, here is wisdom from those who have gone before that we can now pair with this insight into our current moment. Yeah. Okay. So these eight challenges, four for the pastor, four for the church. Let's just knock out the four for the pastor real quick. What are those four? The first was the challenge of vocation, which is what are we actually called to do? And I mean, the the, the bite side, the sort of sound bite on that is pastors are shaken in their vocational confidence. You know, uh, we know the stat that a, a rising percentage want to quit. Some, it's getting close to 40% now, but they're, they're less confident in their calling now than when they first began in ministry. And that's a decline than when we asked that same question five years prior. The second challenge is the challenge of spirituality. Like how, is, how are we um, getting our own souls renewed in, in a deep life with God? I mean, I, I, even though we were laughing about the candle, I, I really admire and respect, Steve, that you as a leader of leaders, as a pastor of pastors, you are tending to your own soul and your own awareness of an abiding with, with Christ. And then thirdly, the challenge of relationships. You, when you came on um, my show, on my podcast, The Resilient Pastor, that's what we talked about is the loneliness epidemic uh, among pastors and why relationships are such a, such a conundrum for pastors. And then the fourth challenge is the challenge of credibility. When people ask me what surprised you about the, the data, I often point to this one because, okay, for only 4% of non-Christian U.S. adults um, say that a pastor is absolutely a trustworthy source of wisdom. That's low, but maybe it's not entirely surprising. But for Christian U.S. adults, for Christians, when you combine yes, absolutely with yes, somewhat, that that stat only rises to about 70, 71%, which means, Steve, for pastors, church leaders, there's about a third of our people on any given weekend who are kind of listening to us and saying, yeah, maybe. So that's the challenge of credibility right there. Are these new challenges? I'm listening to these four challenges and I'd like to get your take. Uh, how new are these versus how much did the pandemic uh, either expose or multiply the depth of them? 
Yeah, such an important question. I, I think, again, in some ways, some of the questions we had tracking data. So the, the beauty of partnering with Barna is they've been doing this stuff for decades. And right. so some of the questions we were able to track from 2016 type of surveys and that shakiness in vocational confidence, that's a definite dip. Um, more pastors are less confident than they were five years ago and fewer pastors are more confident, you know, so it, that there's, that's definitely a shift uh, and, and probably pandemic related. Um, I, I think the challenge of renewing our own souls and the challenge of relationships, I sort my gut is, and even in the stories in my own experience is that's an evergreen one. That that's one that, man, it was probably true for Peter, you know, and, and, and Paul and, you know, so I, I think that's an evergreen one, but but the one of credibility is the other one that I think was definitely, you said, accelerated or revealed by the pandemic. And I think, yeah, probably a bit of both. I think the decline in pastoral credibility uh, maybe was accelerated, but not just because of a pandemic, but because of the response to racial injustice, the the way that we engaged in political, politically divisive conversations. I think those things, even if we ourselves didn't do it, there are so many think pieces that were written about white evangelicals and all of that. And so for better, or for worse, we're lumped in with that. And, and I'm, I'm certainly, sh I'm sure we have some culpability, um, but that decline in credibility is, is a newer challenge, I think. Yeah. Let's tackle credibility for a few minutes, Glenn, because one of the gifts that I think you bring to us is un unfortunately you are a veteran in the field of a world famous leader being yeah. exposed, being incredible or uncredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in this case, it wasn't so much a pandemic that exposed, but it, it's pretty shocking to, to just pause for a few minutes and list the uh, number of world-famous church leaders that we yeah. presume something about them and only to discover later. You know, anyone from someone like a, a Ravi Zacharias, yeah. but even like a, a Jean Vanier, yes. you know, like a highly revered person. So it's not just these like large and in charge people. But it's also these kind of people who actually intentionally went smaller with their work, yeah. discovering this secret life that's um, unconscionable, oftentimes abuse. Yeah. Um, I don't quite know what the question is there, Glenn, I, I, but you, you have had to deal with this for quite a while. Yeah, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, Steve. And I think you're right to name some of those examples. And one of the things that's difficult is you sort through sometimes, you know, with some of these incidents, not, not necessarily the ones you've named, but with some of the stories that have, that have come to surface, you say, oh, well, these were lapses in judgment, or these were sort of yeah. failures in the weakness in the moment, you know, and then there's others where you think, no, that was calculated wickedness. Yeah, that's and right. Man, th that's obviously uh, more shaking, you know, when you see sort of a calculated wickedness. And what we lived through in late 2006 was, I don't want to, I don't want to put it in one of those categories. I, I just think it was, it was devastating. I think it was, I think it was unexpected. Um, it, it definitely, it always feels like a betrayal because you put trust in an individual that you think is trustworthy. And oftentimes people feel like they're saying, okay, this time it'll be different or this person will be different. And because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I, in some ways as a pastor myself, I don't want, I don't want people to give in all the way to cynicism and jadedness and say, and, and to stop believing that it could be different. Um, on the other hand, I, I do believe there's only one good shepherd. There's only one shepherd who will never fail us. 
This is why in Ezekiel 34, God says, I'm against the shepherds of Israel. They, they've exploited the people. They've gotten fat off of, you know, their own wool and, 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 and meat and all this stuff. And then he says, I will come and do the job myself. So the great answer to bad shepherds is not, let's just try again. The great answer to bad shepherds is to recognize that there's really only one good shepherd and it's Jesus himself. And the best of us as leaders are the ones who, who are under shepherds, who point to um, Jesus. And when I say point to him, I don't just mean in word. I, I mean, point to him in the way that we steward power. To say that as specifically and practically as I can, in the chapter on credibility, I, I propose that the loss of credibility is primarily due to the mishandling of power, the misuse of authority. And I reflect on the Saul story in the Old Testament where Samuel warns them. They said, Are you sure you want a king? Because this is what kings do. They take, they take, they take, they take. You know, First Samuel 8, right. he says that right. verb, take, over and over again. So, so the first temptation of people in power is to take. Mm. Then, then Saul goes on and he oversteps his bounds and he offers a sacrifice when he's not supposed to. I think the second temptation of power is to, is to overstep your bounds. And, 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 and so I alluded to, you know, pastors in, in political stuff. This doesn't mean we don't speak to social issues, but when we speak to them as if we are so confident and with absolute certainty, this is all bad and this is all right. Or, you know, your work on anxiety when pastors say, well, all you need is to pray more or just to believe more, memorize a few scriptures. We've out, we've overstepped our bounds here. That we, we're not trained as therapists. We're not, you know. So that's that second temptation. And then, real quickly here, the, the third one is when Saul makes a brash and hasty vow, and he says, "Anybody who eats will be killed." And it turns out his son had eaten, you know, the honey. And they're like, uh, "Saul, super awkward here, but you, your boy, you know, broke this." And and that's the third temptation of power is to is to exercise it with brashness or or and and maybe you would say Steve leaders who do that are usually acting out of their own reactivity and and anxiety Saul was an anxious presence you know yeah. um so anyway there's so much more because I'll stop there and let you kind of interact with that because I think there's a lot of intersection with your work oh man it's haunting I think Glenn like Ichabod you know, you would 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 digging around Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed, and I I do think for most of us, it's one of our number one fears that that the hand of the Lord leaves and we didn't know it, mm. or like Saul also, like he knew it and then he just scrambled to try to make up for it in some way. The witch at Endor and yes, all of that. I I I love the way you've put it through the lens of power because it feels like with a lot of these leaders. Um, it's the double blow of, okay, you had this secret life, but to your point, there's a lapse in judgment. I have tremendous empathy for mm -hmm, those people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Think of all the lapses in judgment that I've had sure. um, as I mature. But then there's the willful, intentional doubling down against the victims. There's mm -hmm. the Deception. using, like you said, money and, and lawyers to threaten. And you're realizing this is a whole, this is now protecting the organization against the very people we're called to care for. I think my heart, Glenn, goes out for the majority. Yeah. I believe it's the majority uh, who are faithfully serving. Yes. But even then, on, on you know, obviously a lot of this is done online, uh, media and social media. What's your take on, what do they call it? The whataboutism? Like when you say, mm. yeah, but what about all the good people? Yeah, the whataboutism, yeah. That's considered uh, um, demeaning to victims or... What's your take on that? That's a tough line. 
It is, it is a tough line because we have to allow people to have a voice. We have to allow people who have been hurt by the church to have a voice. We, we, we cannot silence them. We cannot try to speak for them. We cannot try to, uh, you know, relativize it. And that's the danger with whataboutism is that you're trying to relativize someone else's pain. Yeah. And again, your work has been so helpful in other areas when we think about naming the pain in our own heart and the triggers and the false beliefs. And all, instead of saying, well, you know, you were talking about this with Mark Sayers, instead of saying, well, somebody else has it worse, you know, like instead right. of doing that, right? So we, we don't want to relativize their pain or their trauma. We can't do that. And alongside that, we do want to reframe perspective and kind of say for the, for the person who's listening, let's say you're not a victim, but you're hearing stories of abuse and of, and of victims. For, for that person, maybe you have the luxury because you're not living with the pain of this. That, that, the, the responsibility, maybe not the luxury, the responsibility is to uh, zoom out a bit and gather perspective and to say, okay, how, what are the other stories I don't know? And, you know, there's, there's neuroscience research on how we tend to remember the bad stuff, but forget the good stuff, right? The, the Teflon brain versus the, what is it? The Velcro brain, you know, so the bad stuff yeah. sticks. Yeah. Dr. Kurt Thompson actually says it takes three seconds for a shame message to embed and it takes 60 to 90 seconds for a positive message to embed. It's pretty, pretty deadly. It, it is. And that's why I think in the midst of, 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 of guarding our own hearts against cynicism, how can we cultivate gratitude? So Jesus, you're the good shepherd, and this is how I have seen you at work through some of the shepherds in my life. Let, what, what, what if we also name um, some of that? So I think, I think that is important, um, and, but I think all of us, you know, it's the reason why as an Anglican, we confess, you know, Anglicans confess our sins every, every Sunday, whether or not you feel you've done anything, you know? What so, we have done and what we have left have, undone. Exactly. And the we is so important. It's, it's the collective we. So I believe in personal responsibility, all of that. I believe in all of that. But I also think if we're going to be uh, leaders, we have to understand for better, for worse, we join a collective we. So confession is something I can say along with everyone. Yes, we, I, I have said from the pulpit, I'm so sorry for the ways that we, that pastors have hurt you. Yeah. One of the things that you address is, is uh, the 2020 trifecta <laughs> pandemic, political election, and race, massive racial injustice. I know as an immigrant, mm. I, I was naive. I, I, Charleston um, woke me up. And mm. then I was very humbled to call my black sisters and brothers, and they were not surprised. Yeah. And then yeah. that was shaming for me. Like, oh, I'm still blind. I'm still carrying so much privilege. Um, what, what threw me off, Glenn, I'd like to throw this at you and get your take with your research and what you've written. We have made a habit at our church of naming innocent black deaths from, mm. the, from the pulpit for several mm. years. Mm. There was a local pastor in town named Del Phillips, and he's been a, a stalwart pastor in Denver for years. And, and I said to him, you know, until the white church has to sacrifice, nothing's going to change. We, awareness isn't going to change it. So what can I do that's going to cost me? And Del said, he said, just name black deaths from the pulpit, that'll cost you plenty. That <laughs> was a fascinating answer. I said, oh, I can do that. And it didn't, it honestly didn't cost me much until 2016. Mm. Um, and then 2020, it really cost me. Lots yes. of people left. Yes. And I was surprised when I'd have conversations with these people, they were so angry when they would call. I, I was called woke. I, yeah. I 
told I subscribed to a theory I'd never heard of, this thing called critical race theory. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. And then right. I was told, I remember one person particularly, well, you haven't heard of it, but you're being brainwashed by it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, uh, but anyway, my point being, I was trying to say to them, um, we have been practicing this for, for almost 10 years at this point, but I think what's changed is you've suddenly started hearing it. Yeah. But that yeah. was very aggressive to, I didn't mean to be aggressive, but they, you know, got mad and left. And mm. how do you explain all of that? What's your take on all of that? Well, your experience, Steve, as you know, is, is um, replicated in all, every city across America. I mean, pastors I've talked to, you know, formally, informally, part of my focus groups, or just as I've traveled, they all have had that experience. And I as well have been called, you know, th those things. So, and I, and like you, I'm an immigrant, Steve. Yeah. So I, I, I said from the pulpit in the fall of 2020, I said, guys, I feel like I'm walking into a 400 year old, I, I said family fight. In, in hindsight, I shouldn't have said that because actually it's not a family fight. It's a, it's a history of oppression by one group yes. over another. Um, yes. But I was trying, to, I was trying to, to say, I'm walking into tensions that have a long history that I have been naive about. You know, I, I mean, I knew sort of the bullet points like you did, um, but the pervasiveness of it, the, the way it impacts people. And just to give a little bit of data, um, you know, Barna did this, this uh, study in 2019 and 2020. The question was, do you think our country has a race problem? And it, white adults, uh, you know, Christians tended to say yes, less than non-Christians even. So, so, so um, just general U.S. adults, white U.S. adults, 37% said yes, definitely. For self-identified Christians, white adults, 33%. Now think about this. Now, black adults, 76% said yes, definitely. But when it's Christians, it goes even higher, 81%. So to track the disparity, that's 81% of black Christians say yes, definitely. And 33% of white Christians say only, only 33% said yes, definitely. In other words, the largest disparity gap is not just between black and white, but between Christians who are black and Christians who are white. Now, this is why it breaks my heart. I'm I'm not interested in talking about these issues because, like you said, because of theories or because of agendas that are be, being, you know, sort of shaping me. I think it's very important. Uh, I have a conviction to speak about these things in biblical categories right, right. and from kingdom impulses. So the kingdom impulse is to put things back together again, right? The, the, the mission of God is to find the place where the world is fractured, fragmented, and broken, and to put it back together again. The word salvation itself means wholeness. The Hebrew word shalom is this wholeness. So the kingdom mission is to find what's broken, put it back together again. And, and, the, so, and then the, king, the, the biblical categories are, let's talk about unity in the church. Let's talk about the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile that's been torn down. Let's talk about Ephesians 2, the second half of Ephesians 2, not just the first half. And so, so when, I, when I read that statistic, it broke my heart, Steve, because now we're not, we're not talking about an American problem or a civics, a, a sort of societal issue. We're talking about the church, man. I think this is, I mean, obviously we could do a whole episode on this. I'm, I'm a white Aussie, you're a Malaysian background and <laughs> yeah. we do, here we are uh, trying to have this conversation. Um, I, I think this also bleeds into the research you did on pastoral loneliness yeah. because I know for me, I, I never, never thought that we were getting an A plus in discipleship at our church. I, I know mm -hmm. Western consumerism is not, 
the predominant context historically where mm-hmm. people grow in Christ. You need persecution, poverty, plague. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is we got plague <laughs> and it doesn't really feel like it put us on our knees. Mm. One of the, I, I love how you said earlier, I went back to 380, I went back to 1500. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the church leadership has, has dealt with everything we've been addressing in the yeah. last 50 years. Yeah. Plague's one of them. Yeah. Uh, and yet here we have this, let's call it a plague, a pandemic. But it didn't feel like the church really paused and sought mm-hmm. the Lord. It mm-hmm. felt to me, let's not make a generalization here, Glenn, it felt to me like we retrenched into our political point of view. Yeah. What's your take on that as a generalization? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we definitely saw those markers. And, and again, it's hard because sometimes the people that make the most noise are not the most representative, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there definitely were these movements. And sadly, I've heard from several pastors in different cities uh, across the country who said, actually, the churches who, who, who tried to sort of push um, a political um, fight for our rights kind of approach grew. And the ones yes. who tried to take a hey, let's serve the least of these and the vulnerable sort of approach. Um, and I, look, look, I want to be charitable. I think both impulses, you might be able to find some, some, some grounds for this, but, but one grew and one didn't. And, and that's difficult for pastors. And I think it, it placed pastors in this dilemma. And most, most pastors didn't see it as cut and dry as, as some of these more vocal ones did. And so that just that was just another reason for division. You, you know, you mentioned plagues. In different moments, um, even in recent, I think of our, let's just talk about New Life Church and our sort of quote-unquote church history. Uh, the, the scandal of 2006, the shooting in 2007, wildfires uh, in our, you know, county, two, you know, two different summers. All of those crises brought people together. Even 9-11. I mean, we, all of us can remember the Sundays after 9-11. It brought people together. This crisis or this these set of crises um, that we've all lived through and pastored through is is different than that because it, they, instead of becoming occasions for unity, they became occasions to divide uh, over every little thing, every step of the way, and that's wearisome for a pastor because even if you could make the ideological argument or re, you know sort of buttress your own decisions with with conviction. Gosh, it, it, you still second guess yourself, and you thought, "What if I've made a big blunder here? What if I was too slow in reopening? What if I was too What if I was too quick in reopening?" And and um, there's there's just a loneliness to those decisions, and then there's a loneliness with the aftermath of those decisions. Yeah, in your research, you really dial in on you know how many pastors are seeking a counselor, a spiritual mm-hmm. director, or a mentor. Yeah. And uh, when I heard that research you'd done, the, the mentor category is such a broad category. I expected a higher percentage. I thought, oh, well, that's a, almost everyone's going to have that. And it was a pretty shockingly low number you came up with there. Yeah, I've got to try to find it off the top of my head here or uh, in the book here, Steve. But you're right. It is, it is, it is low. And it, it, it flags for me that uh, we, not just, not, not just that we're lonely, but we don't have the right sort of voices. Yeah, it's 24%. Of pastors say they meet with a spiritual director or mentor, and you're right, mentor is broad enough that, gosh, it should be it should be higher than that. So I, I do think as as pastors we need different kinds of relationships in our life. And years ago, I read a book by um, Paul Stanley and Bobby Clinton called Connecting, and I, this is the first place I encountered it. Maybe they weren't the first to say, but where I encountered this metaphor of a constellation versus a north star. 
Mm. And, and I think that's so important. We need a constellation of voices in our life, not just one North Star. So even sometimes with finding the mentor or finding the counselor, it, it, people get disillusioned. They, they see someone for a couple sessions and like, ah, you know, I don't, you know. But, but if you switch your mindset to think about constellations, actually you can have several voices that play different roles. And I, I've had some fun with this for any Lord of the Rings fans out there. I, I've kind of, you know, done this, this, this metaphor here where you need a Gandalf, you need a sage who's kind of been there and they'll show up at key moments. Uh, you need a, an authority figure, you know, the king, Aragorn, someone who can tell you no in your life. Maybe that is your elders. Maybe your elders could have saved you from some bad uh, state. Not you, Steve, but, you know, all of us. Um, they could have saved us from some mistakes on social media or whatever. And then you need, you need, you need peers, people who are in the war, but not necessarily in the same trenches with you. That would be like the dwarves. So I have a group. I am in a Zoom group once a month with three other pastors from around the country. And it's, it's been an incredibly safe space for years now to talk about the, the, the challenges we're facing. And then you, so you need peers and then you need like close friends, a true brother or sister. And this is like Frodo having Sam, you know, I can't carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you, you know, we need someone maybe they're not a pastor. They don't know this, but they know you and they know yours. They know when you're not right. Uh, and then the final category, you need a healer. You know, this is like Arwen or going to the the, the elves um, house in Rivendell where, where you get you get healed from the poison of the daggers. And for many of us as pastors, maybe we got a few peers, maybe we got a few friends, maybe we got, you know, but if we think through intentionally a constellation of relationships, the amount of hits we've taken, the amount of difficult decisions for which there's no clear right answer, uh, again, when do you, when do sailors need that constellation? When they're trying to navigate in 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 uh, difficult waters, uncharted waters, um, you can't just look for one north star. You need a constellation. Uh, Glenn, I mean that that to me, what you just shared, it, it's funny. As I was praying about this podcast, as as feeling prompted, which is unusual for me, to say just ask Glenn about friendship, hmm. um, because I, it is a topic. Uh, you know, you wrote about isolation, how much people are getting help. And, and I think it's directly linked to these social issues we feel compelled to speak about mm-hmm. because we are getting hit. But, but we can withstand it. Um, first of all, if we stop being surprised, mm. we were surprised in 2020. Let's, let's, it's 2022 now. Let's stop being surprised. That's great. But as I hear you, um, that, that echoes my own journey of not just survival, but thriving yes. in ministry. Yes. Is I had my band of brothers yes. and um, I have a spiritual director. And one of the, one of the people I'm most grateful for is my wife mm-hmm. because she still carries a lot of my anxiety. Like I come home and dump, but she does, she used to carry most of it. Mm. And now I've got these people I can go to. But boy, it takes intentionality. It's almost like dating, I, I found. You have to be yeah. vulnerable. Will you be my friend? Do you want yeah. to see each other again? It is quite awkward. <laughs> but it's, um, once you find those people, man, you hang on to them. You, and I try to take the best care of them I can. Yes. Uh, here's another thing I want to ask you about, Glenn. I'm jumping around on you a bit. That's great. My, my tendency as a pastor is to not ask for help. Mm. And I cultivated my best friendships by going against my natural wiring and saying, I need you. Yes. Um, tell me, tell me about that. Oh, I mean, that's totally true. I, I uh, sort of resonate most as, as an Enneagram three, you know, with those tendencies and motivations. And I think the, the word is that we're feeling repressed. You know, we don't always know. I don't yes. always know everything I'm feeling until after it's over. Yes. 
And I have learned, you know, as a young boy, actually, in high, my high school years, I'm so grateful for the way my parents raised me, but I learned to journal and to have these long sort of devotional times with the Lord and, and write. But I would say that, that there's a long period of ministry, vocational ministry, where that went away. I look at my journals now, I kind of was thumbing through a stack the other day, and there's large seasons where I'm not writing anything. There's gaps in it. And that's not healthy. Um, I, I, I've realized actually in the last couple of years, I've, I've started journaling again because it gets these feelings out. I'm naming it now. And the same brain that uh, is used to sort of make connections in the scripture and, and write content and sermons is now being used to say, turn that, exegete your soul. Don't just exegete the text or exegete the culture, but exegete your soul. That that's what's helped me. And then as I've done that, I've realized I gotta talk, I gotta talk to some people about this. I need to and and, and I, I the, the the two things sort of go together. Like if I am not aware of those deep or dark places or or what I'm feeling, then I might even be intentional about time with friends, but I'm we're not gonna be talking about that much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but on the other hand, th- there is intentionality required and you're right. It is, there is a, it can feel a little bit awkward. Like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to set a regular time here? Maybe a recurring, you know, coffee or zoom. But, and I, you know, started that about five, six years ago or so. And it has been a gift. Um, I realized that I, I sort of let friendships happen in the gaps, in the margins of my schedule. And that's, that never is, was going to work. And so I needed to build it into my schedule and that's been a game changer. I'm, I'm encouraging every pastor I can find. I, I know in this whole episode, we're mostly focused on pastors. So I know, um, big shout out to Minty, my veterinary surgeon listener from Namibia. Sorry that we're not thinking of you much today, Minty. We're really focusing on your pastor today. But um, uh, I, I encourage pastors to use church money and church time for this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a direct benefit to your congregation for you to yeah. invest uh, church resource. You know, not outrageously, of course. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, the, the field I was trained in, clinical pastoral education, the founder of it, Anton Boysen, he called what you just described, he called exegeting the living human document. How about that? His, wow. Yeah, his idea was, he said, like, we, we're trained to exegete the scripture, but yeah. what about the living human document? Mm. And that's really what chaplaincy was, was, was people exegeting me to figure out what's <laughs> going on and what's coming out of me. Mm. Um, that's kind of what you're describing. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. That, that, that sounds... Uh, I mean, that's, again, we're, we're standing on the shoulders of others here, you know, but, but it's so interesting how quickly we forget lessons that have been learned, you know, from generations past. Some of the interesting thing about the data is on some of the questions that we cut the data by, by age or seasoned in ministry, you know, sort of years in ministry. And there are things that older pastors, uh, and uh, again, that not older, but let's just say uh, over 50 pastors have been at this more decades than those under 50 there are things they know about relationships and about um, vocation and and what to expect about the vocation that that some of us need to say, tell me about this again and how did you do this? Or, and I've had some retired pastors in my congregation say, I'm so glad you don't preach 50 weeks a year like I did and I burned out and, you know, you should, you know, I never thought I had room for friends. I thought all my social functions had to be with, you know, obligations sort of uh, driven. So we can learn from these people, whether whether it's um, from their mistakes or from their wise choices. 
Hey, MLA podcast listeners, just a quick word here that my wife Lisa and I have been working behind the scenes on a 12-week journal that is available for pre-order in May. It's going to be a Kickstarter campaign, so if you're listening to this before May or in May, you can just go to stevecusswords.com, www.stevecusswords.com, and that's where you can sign up to either be notified when we're doing pre-sales or actually go straight to our Kickstarter link. It's a 12-week journal that helps you go from being reactive to calm, aware, and present in the workplace and home place. It's a guided journal with a brand new tool each week. For the first eight weeks, you get a new tool to try. You get midweek reflections. You get end-of-week meditations. And then you get these daily simple questions because what we know about anxiety is if you can get on top of it, if you can think about the way you think, if you can pause, if you can be curious, you can massively lower your anxiety. So the Calm Aware Present Journal, it's all about noticing, naming, and diffusing anxiety in you and your people over a 12-week period. The Calm Aware Present Journal, physical product, pre-orders start in May. Right now, it looks like our delivery timeline is going to be right around August after Kickstarter, it's going to be on Amazon, it's going to be on the CussWords website, and it's going to be on the Capable Life membership website. But for now, just go to stevecusswords.com, get your name on the list, and we'll email you as soon as it's ready for order. Okay, I'm just kind of giving my mental list here, Glenn, um, of what we haven't yet covered. We're not going to do the gauntlet today. I think what I'd like to do is instead get your quick wisdom. Uh, let's expand beyond just pastors now. Yeah. Uh, Currently, what's one of your favorite surprising practices of connecting with the Lord that might not be the typical journaling Bible study prayer? What would be a non-traditional practice that you're finding beneficial? I'm trying to slow my breath down. I'm trying to slow my mind down. And again, as an Enneagram 3, I'm always, even my time with the Lord can be checklist oriented, like, okay, read that chapter, great, read that, you know, and I am allowing myself or making myself sit in the chair and close my eyes and just sit still and see what surfaces in my heart, uh, in my feelings, um, see what I hear from the Lord and what I sense from the Lord. And, and also doing that um, before going to bed. So I, for the last, gosh, I don't know, maybe it's been the last two years, but unintentionally, almost reflexively, I found myself when I, my head hits the pillow and I have a hard time going to sleep. So a lot of times I'll just watch a show until I get exhausted. And then I realized that's not a great habit. You know, I went through, I burned through a lot of shows in 2020 and 2021. And then I realized this isn't the greatest thing, but somewhere along the way I would close my eyes and with a kind of holy imagination, picture Jesus in front of me. And it was almost like that John 21 moment with Jesus and Peter. And I would say, Jesus, I love you. I'm with you. I'll follow you. And it was a ground, it was a centering thing for me of saying, you know, Jesus, Peter, Jesus doesn't ask Peter, do you love the church? Um, do you love the kingdom? Peter, I, I've got a cause for you. I've got a, you know, I've got a task for you. He says, do you love me? And the centering, surprising, simple a practice of slowing my breath down, engaging a little holy imagination, and then just with Jesus face to face saying, I love you. I'm following you. I'm with you wherever you go. That's beautiful. 
think where I want to steer the rapid fire questions then, Glenn, is I do think we can so quickly focus on diagnosis and here's the problem and the, mm. and the weight we carry. I'd like to just ask you three or four quick questions on what you're loving right now. So give us one thing in your vocation, in your workplace, just any one thing that you just love. Man, I'm I'm loving seeing um, other people just thrive in their in their work. I I, I do a fair amount of work with our uh, we are we're a church made up of eight different congregations, and I have the privilege of I lead one, but then I help you know sort of oversee or coach um, four others, and just hearing their reports and checking in on them from from stuff from like, hey, we just hired this person, and that's been a killer, you know, great fit, or you know, th- this report about the worship leader or this team. Those are things that just bring me a, a ton of joy, seeing people in their right spots come alive. Mm. What about in the home place? What's something you're just enjoying in your home life? Uh, our kids, man, they're, um, we, we play Speed Scrabble and we, play, we always leave this, the Scrabble pieces out on the dining table. So we're done eating, we're talking, and then someone will say, let's play a quick game of Speed Scrabble. So just everybody together, getting their brains on this stuff. That's been super fun. I love, um, I love the late night chats with our teenage uh, girls right now. I'm reminding myself that you can't schedule uh, the, the, those moments of vulnerability. And so it's, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've learned with my boys, it's generally in a car. And with my daughter, it's generally when I want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, your hobbies, do they tend toward the complex or the simple or do you have a mix of both? Um, I think it's pretty simple. My hobbies are sports. I'm a, I'm a big Denver sports fan. I love, I love the Nuggets. I love uh, football. Um, I'm not much of a baseball guy, but you know, I, I, I enjoy, you know, um, cheering for teams and, and, and all that. I like reading. Um, I, I think sometimes it, it has begun to feel like more mental work. And so uh, I, I would say I'm reading more slowly and, and in a way a little bit less than, than I have in other seasons of life, but, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. The Lord's been good to you at Denver sports in the last few months. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mighty Jokic doing what he's doing. Yes, yeah. indeed. Okay. Well, Glenn, as we wrap up, just um, a, a word. Like we focus so much on pastors. Obviously, your book, The Resilient Pastor, also tackles uh, challenges and opportunities for the church. Mm. What would be your final word for uh, people who just see themselves as uh, a congregant wanting to further the kingdom of God in wherever they live? You know, I think often about that text in Luke 24, which, you know, is a common Easter passage of Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And what's, there, there are a few things that strike me about that text, and I just want to name them really quickly. These disciples are walking away from Jerusalem with downcast faces. That in itself is a parable for our cultural moment. Jerusalem in the scripture, it was supposed to be the center of the earth. It's supposed to be where the nations would gather. It's supposed to be where uh, joy, the joy of the whole earth, the Old Testament says. And yet these guys are walking away and they're walking away sad. I think that's happening in, in the world all around us. It's happening with our coworkers, our colleagues, our, our um, uh, friends at school. And, and what Jesus does, the resurrected Jesus, he joins them on the journey. And I think that's, it's such a remarkable thing because if ever there was a moment for Jesus to sort of try to wow them and, and say, come look at me, I can glow, you know, or whatever it is he could do, you know, he doesn't, he goes incognito. So he becomes small and he joins them on the journey. And I think in a very simple way, there's so much more we can say from that text. And, and in fact, uh, I do in, in, in the book, but, but I think just for us right now, meditate on that. Meditate on that scene and say, Jesus, how can I become smaller and join people on their journey? Um, 
not to not to stay with them. I mean, Jesus reframes the story of Scripture to show a suffering God. He takes over the meal and begins to open their eyes. And so there's something about the power of God. But I don't think we get to see the presence and power of God doing surprising things if we won't embrace the humility of God in joining people on the journey that they're on. Mm. That's Glenn Packiam. Uh, his most recent book is The Resilient Pastor. He's also the host of that and also uh, The Resilient Pastor podcast, also The Essential Church podcast that's hosted by New Life. Uh, for those of you who you might hear that book title, Resilient Pastor, you're like, ah, I'm not sure that that hits me. Yeah, I, I really couldn't um, commend enough one of Glenn's, I think my favorite book of Glenn's, which is Blessed, Broken, Given. Hmm. Uh, a devotional book for any follower of Christ who just wants to connect with God in a fresh way. Mm. Um, I think that was two or three books ago of yours, Glenn, but still for me, um, an absolute favorite. Mm. And so, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a delight, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org.